Welcome to The New Normal, a series of seminary videos and podcasts inspired by a global pandemic. We are the Brothers Anderson. Each week, we will share with you insights and questions to support your study of the Book of Mormon. Now buckle up, eat your vitamins, here we go. Hello, welcome back to our podcast. We're excited to be here. We have a special guest today. We have Melanie Tejan with us. Say hi, Melanie. Hey, guys. Why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) I'm about putting people on the spot. (laughs) Was this just an open invitation? Is this a taker for this? This is is somebody who took me up on the offer to be on our podcast. See, we weren't joking. Melanie likes to... Actually, I'm I am kind of I am kind of uh, curious because in class, you don't you don't say a lot in class. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> but podcasts is that that's your that's your jam. That's where you. Maybe. <laughs> She's gonna come out of her shell. She wants to try some things. Actually, she had some very specific things that she wanted to make sure that everybody understood. We're gonna get to that a little bit later. We are going to talk about a pretty sensitive subject. We're going to be in Alma chapters two and three. Um, I think this is another one of these chap these these are chapters that we tend to fly over because we we just got done with Nehor and we want to get to Alma five. That's some pretty deep doctrinal questions. Yeah, but five and seven. Yeah, <clears throat> but we we this these could be these could be chapters that we that we go over pretty quickly. Mostly because chapter two and and a lot of chapter three is is a lot of wars and a lot of bloodshed and a lot of people die and so it's kind of depressing. Well, I mean, what's kind of sad about this is you know how when you're the new guy and all the all the bad stuff happens to you when you're the new guy. The first time, like in the first days, the first month. First yeah, year. you like get a new job and you're in the new boss. That's when you know crap hits the fan and you you're tested. You got all the stuff. The I test. mean, this, this is really what thirteen years from. I'm just looking at the timing. It's about 13 years from when Alma had his change of heart, and it's only about it's like a how year. far is he into this? It's like a year after. Yeah, he's he's only in his first year. He's already had to execute an, uh, an, uh, an antichrist, an antichrist. <laughs> and and still in that same year, you've got a, another guy who wants to become a king, and there's a full-on civil war. This like, is all his first year. <laughs> so. No wonder, he, no wonder he gets out of this thing after you know. After five years, like yeah, I'm out. Yeah, in a couple of chapters, he's like, you know what? I don't want to do. I'm both. out of here. I'm going to go back and just be a prophet. Yep. So, um, so Amosai, let's talk about this guy who, according to chapter two, um, verse one, says that he was after the order of the man that slew Gideon. Yeah, they're still not going to use they his don't, name. <laughs> right. He is still he who does not want to be named. Um, they still don't want to mention Nehor. But so he is after the same order, and, and and in yesterday's podcast we explained all of the doctrines of Nehor and why they're dangerous. Right. This guy is not only after that same order, but he tends to take it up a level. Right. You you had mentioned in the in the podcast yesterday that they got really good at hiding, their, right? Their their wickedness. Well, and he's not going to start off hiding because it says he's cunning. He draws away much people. This is chapter chapter. But he's two, not done anything to see where Nehor got in trouble. Is he? Because he did something publicly, killed a guy, and he's executed. Yeah, but they're going to do that as publicly. He's just going to have a huge army behind him. (laughs) He's still going to follow the same pattern, right? So you've got, he's cunning in verse 2, draw away many people after him. 
even so much that they began to be very powerful and they want him to be their king. So they're still so following the, yeah. I want to be the leader because I'm most popular kind of thing. And so, yeah, so they're trying to, now all of this leads to quite a bit of contention. Verse five, um, there was much disputing and wonderful contentions one with another. I don't know. Not a not like it's a, not a pleasurable contention. It's more of a it caused wonder. Yeah, it was they that were type kind of, of surprised at how much contention this caused. I think it, I think it causes a lot of concern about, um, like they're surprised that they don't want freedom for that long. Sure, they're willing to give up, but we want kings again. Right, they want they want to go back. Now, when it says in verse four that they were intent to destroy the church of God, it's not necessarily they they wanted to destroy religion per se. It's more like, let's go back to having a priest king. Let's do that. Let's get rid of this organized church that we got going on here. Let's go back to when it was that way. Uh, easier for the Advantages. king. Advantages. Easier for the king to control. So it's easier. All right, so let's let's put this into some modern context then. So we have Melanie here. She's just kind of staring at us. <laughs> you, need to, you need to just jump in when you're feeling it. But let's talk about some changes that have happened recently where our prophet has kind of loosened the reins on certain things, and yet we see people are, they, they want to go back to the old way. Can you think of any, any examples there? Well, like with, like calling us the, his, like calling us his church, his people, like some people are wanting to still call us Mormons and stuff. Right. So. And we, and it's easy to go back to that because it's easier to call ourselves Mormons even because yeah. that's what everybody knows us as. We've even done it once as a church. There was kind of a push to right. let's, let's not use Mormon. Yeah, and then, President Ballard. And then we kind of reverted back and that was Mormon.org and we're the Mormons and there was a big old PR push. <laughs> it was interesting. Even as yeah. a church, we kind of ebbed and flowed. I'm, I'm a Mormon campaign. Yeah, and then President Nelson comes in and goes, let's, okay, all right, let's, let's try this again. This is 2.0. Let's not do it. I also think of ministering. Yeah. We were very structured under home teaching of what we are to do and mm -hmm. how often and to do it teaching. and what the, and visiting teaching, same thing. And then they came out with ministering higher and holier. Just go and do it. We're not going to worry about the rules and everybody's lost their mind. Like, I don't know what to do. Well, and like, even go minister. And even those that I are don't like, know what that means. even those that are excited about it when they become leadership and they're like, we got to organize this. And then it reverts back to right. Cause that's all they know. Teaching. Right. So we've got, we've got the mindset of the people that this is all they know is Kings. Right. And, and for whatever reason, they're, uh, they're okay going back to, let's just put everything back in the power of a King. Now that's a scary thing. Yep, and in fact, it leads to, to a lot of war, a lot of bloodshed. Chapter 2 is the rest. The rest of chapter 2 is just a series of battles. Um, the Nephites trying to defend there's, well, there's their a, freedoms there's and, a, there, and their religion. There's a full-on vote in verses 6, 7, yep. and 8. They, they have the people come and vote, and the people... So we got to understand, just because there's this a large a, this group This is just of, Alma saying, no, I don't want to go back to kings. Yeah, and it's not, and it's not even... This a, is the people. It's not even a majority, yeah. So, so the people following Amasai are, are not numerous enough to make this happen. So they, get, they vote him down, and that causes joy among those who are against him and anger for those who are not in his favor. Boy, that sounds familiar. Um, and then and then they go ahead and they make Amasai their king anyway, and he commands them to go ahead and start a war. 
So that's the rest of chapter that's two. That's chapter two. Okay, so chapter three. Here's where we really want to spend our time. Chapter three is a chapter where if somebody who really had um, a beef with the church can really misinterpret and misunderstand the teachings of chapter three. I mean, this is this is where this is where a lot of our enemies will come in and say, "Yeah, your own scriptures are ra- are racist." Well, go ahead and just put in as a cross ref- reference Second Nephi chapter five. Well, we got lots of cross references we're going to get to because that conversation. I know that we spent a lot of time on on. So this. at the top at the top of the page where chapter three starts, I'm gonna have you write three different scriptures. Okay, the first one. These are all from Second Nephi. So Second Nephi five twenty one. 2 Nephi 26.33, which you guys should already have marked. That's doctrinal mastery. Right. And 2 Nephi 30, verse 6. These three verses, every time there is a mention of skin color, curses, race, anything of that nature, these three verses are always going to be in the cross-references. So we're going to... We're going to get to those. And hopefully when you get into 2 Nephi 5, there's other cross-references that we did as a class. I don't know if you guys did that, but we went and looked at some Old Testament verses that talk about darkness go, and we, we didn't go Old Testament. And, we stayed right so. with the Book of Mormon. Okay, so here's here's where we've got to uh, we've got to make some distinguishing so, features. But we here. got some context here. Amlicites lose their battle. They join up with the the Lamanites, and so we've got they three. can't even number the dead. That's how many have died. Yeah, but they they've got three groups of people here. You've got Nephites. Amlicites and Lamanites. Yeah, the Lamanites kind of jump in like, oh, there's a fight, we're in. Yeah. So that, any, that's... Any, any excuse. Now, because you've got those three groups, Mormon kind of does some descriptive words that kind of... How do I distinguish who is who? Well, and, and he doesn't even have to do that. If you go to verse 4 of chapter 3, he tells us, the Amlicites were distinguished from the Nephites, for they had marked themselves with red in their foreheads. So Amicites are descendants of Nephites, or yeah. dissidents of Nephites. So they, they, they largely are Nephites. look the same as the Nephites, except they do something to themselves. They mark themselves on their foreheads with red. And for those of us who've talked in 2 Nephi chapter 5, I don't even think the Lamanites look that much different than the Nephites. I just don't. But here you have, it says in verse 4, the Lamanites mark themselves red in the forehead, and the Amicites, to kind of be looking like them, also mark themselves red. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, it's right there. It's in verse 4. The no, Amicites no, no, no. were distinguished from the Nephites, for they had marked themselves with red after the manner of the Lamanites. So the Amicites and the Lamanites marked themselves red. The difference between the, Nephi- the Lamanites and the Amicites, though, is the Lamanites will shave their heads. Amicites keep their hair. There's your there's your differences. Meanwhile, you got the Lamanites or Nephites. Sorry, there's a lot of ites. Nephites who don't mark their forehead. So let's talk about hair. let's talk about the mark, um, and then we're gonna we're gonna get down into verse six. It's gonna say that the Lamanites had um, the Lamanites were dark um, with the mark that was set upon their fathers, which was a curse. So we're gonna talk about the marks. We're gonna talk about curses and what this all means because. Um, there can be some misunderstandings. Let's first start with the mark. There's a lot of symbolism here in the mark itself. Right. Okay, the color red, the mark of of the the color. So red has kind of have some dual some dualism there. It can mean life or death. Right, it's both sides. 
and it also can represent Christ's atonement. Now, the dualism is that it can it can be a positive and a negative at the same time. Well, blood is both sides, right? Blood is Christ's atonement, pays for sins, but blood can also represent the corruption of mortality. Like it's right that, that so it's both sides. Even if you're to say so, just blood, blood is part of it. blood is necessary for life. Right, you but it's also the corruptibleness. It is the corruption of, of that's what that's what causes the aging process. Right, but the the negative is that when you shed blood, you're taking life. Right. You give blood, you live, you take blood, you die. Christ's blood, same thing. Christ's blood is shed for man. That's a positive thing. Right. But it was to, shed by evil men. Yeah. That's where the negative was. It was it was shed as a result of wickedness and sin, but it was it, but it was a necessary thing because that was the plan. Okay? Um, red also has a lot of connotation, a lot of prefiguring to war and death. So what is that telling us about the Amlicites? If they're using, do you think they did that on purpose? Like, do you think the color was intentionally used red? Well, for two reasons. One, the Lamanites have already done it. But why? Okay, so Lamanites, did you so, think they picked that on purpose? Uh, yeah, because what do we know about them? What does 2 Nephi chapter 5 say about the, the, the Lamanites? What do we know about Lamanites, Melanie? They're fighting evil men who want to destroy everyone. Right. They're, they're bad guys. Yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the bloodthirsty. Yep. They're, they're all they're about... They're the idolatrous, yep. right? They're, they're, they're all those things. So the Amlicites, interesting. They're like, I'm going to break from the Nephites, and we're going to be like them. Mm-hmm. So they mark themselves in the forehead. Now... Um, Let's talk about forehead. Forehead. What is, what is symbolic of the forehead? So let's get ancient uh, Israel for a second. Yeah, I got to find... These scriptures were great. (laughs) So you have in the law of Moses a couple of things that the Lord commands his people to wear that when when I show images of this, you know, we always get a couple snickers, right? You have something that's called phylacteries. I don't know if you remember this at all, Melanie, in your thing. They used to strap a box on their forehead. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember what was in the box? Prayers. Yeah, stuff stuff from Deuteronomy six and eight. Little scrolls of scriptures. And they were and they're really it was proclamation that that the Lord is our God, right? So that, why do you, that why do you we stick will... a box of scripture on your forehead? So that it's like a symbol that you're choosing to be righteous and remembering the prayer. Right. Yeah, because what's what's behind the the bone here? This is your brain. This is what you think about. This is what you. Your thoughts, your desires. So they would sh- they would strap the box as a symbol. It's not like you can. It's nobody learns by osmosis. You can't just strap a prayer to your forehead. Deuteronomy and, and six have nine, it and it shall be a sign unto thee <clears throat> upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes. <laughs> yep, right there in between the eyes. <laughs> that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. So it's it's all it's all a a remember the covenant. It. It's almost, this is covenant speak, that, that if you were to strap something to your head, it's, I will always remember what I am promising to do. Now, that's the good side. Now, why would these guys mark this kind of war symbol on their forehead? <laughs> I, I, well, I, think, I think we need to we th- we also read Jeremiah 3.3 3 because it was also a sign, like during the Old Testament time, Prophet Jeremiah compares unrepentant Israel to the forehead of a prostitute. Thou hadst a whore's forehead, 
and now refuses to be ashamed. And if I hear any students call each other a horse forehead, (laughs) (laughs) it's not okay. Because that's a bad thing. (laughs) What is interesting, though, is why would Israel be called a horse forehead? Why, Why the forehead? Obviously, you can you can well, see why he's talking to them like a whore because Israel has constantly not been faithful to God. Right. That's easy. Why the forehead? Why a whore's forehead? Because <laughs> that's where their desires. That's 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 where that lies. Okay. It's not. This wasn't an accidental. I stopped keeping the commandments. Or well, this yeah, it's in, an agency. This was an right. agency. This was a full of agency, intentional act of. I see your covenants. Remember, because the foreheads are right between their eyes. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard to not it's see. It's hard it. not to see the commandments <laughs> if they're placed right here. So, so if you get so a f- if I'm if I am intentionally removing those commandments and putting something wicked there, something instead, horish, something horish, right? But but that's what's that's what's con- continually yeah, in it's your intentional. F- uh, I am I am remembering the my unfaithfulness above all things. I mean, it's it's there. It's so you've got these guys who are willfully marking this. This symbol of of death, war, war, death, and... hate, like the Lamanites who are bloodthirsty and idolatrous, and they're like, I will willingly put that on my forehead. It's kind of hard to feel bad for them, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Not only is it kind of hard to feel bad for them if they're cursed now because they have marked themselves on their foreheads? Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard to feel bad for somebody that does that, right? So yeah. verse 18 is specific. The Amlicites... They knew not that they were fulfilling the word of God, but they did mark themselves. It says, and nevertheless, they had come out in open rebellion against God. Therefore, it was expedient that the curse should fall upon them. We'll talk about the curse in a second. But they willfully and in open rebellion, it's almost as if they had to like remove the proverbial phylactery off their forehead to mark the red. This is an agency choice. This is them deciding, this is what I want to be known as. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You got any thoughts, Melanie? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what a great podcast guest. Nailed it! <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Bryce? Any comments? Oh, you chicken. That was a quiet head shake. Uh, <laughs> Bryce is here, but he's refusing to he's come refusing. to the mic. Okay, so, so, so we, last word. So then let's let's talk about curses then. Melanie, do you have... When you hear the word curse, what's, what comes to your mind? Like... Like, first thing that comes to your mind, like, not right or wrong or church or anything, but you hear the word curse, and you think... You th- Harry Spells Potter. Or- Harry, Harry Potter! Potter. <laughs> Nailed it! <laughs> why, why is that usually where we go? Is that because that's just what pop culture just... If it's if you're being cursed, it's because... Abracadabra. Isn't that how you kill people? <laughs> Isn't that how you say you it? You're such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, no, okay, so let's, let's get the, the whole spell thing out. Let me just read one verse, and I want you to tell me exactly what comes into your mind when I read it. You ready? Okay, so it's verse 6. The skins of the Lamanites were dark according to the mark which was set upon their fathers, which was a curse upon them because of their transgression and their rebellion. Go. <laughs> <laughs> what are some just off-the-top thoughts that come to mind when when you hear that verse well dark skin is like they openly rebelled against christ and right they don't really care about him right so 
he decided to separate them from okay. everyone else. Good, good use of the word for separate. So when you see that, you see the dark skin is the separation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so do you do you make then can, can you can you make a decision or can you see how somebody would read that and say, oh, well, Mormons believe that if you have dark skin, you're cursed. Well, there are some dark-skinned people now in our church. Now? Yes, now, but... But But they have willingly forgiven, I mean, repented from their sins, and through the atonement of Christ, he has willingly forgiven them. But what about me? I am of... You are white. I am of Nordic. <laughs> You're white. I'm Sweden, right? We're from. Yeah, we we are we are You're so white. You're almost transparent. I have I have committed sin. I have never had dark skin. So how does that work? If someone were to come up to you and go, "I think you Mormons are racist," and you're like, "No," and they're like, "Well, here, this verse says that your skin's is the mark of the curse." So what do you say to that? I'm putting you on the spot hard. <laughs> What do you think? And everybody listening is going, man, I'm glad I'm not there. I'm never going to do a podcast with the Andersons. They're just going to make me feel bad about myself. This is just, it's a hard thing. This, this is, is a really, this is a tough one to understand. Okay. It's especially, so, yeah. So let's go back. We, we, in our class, we talked about curses. Do you remember when we talked about curses? Yeah. Do you remember what we talked about with curses? What is an actual, what is the... What is the, the gospel definition of curse? So you said normally when we think curses, we're thinking spells and wands and Harry Potter. But when we talked about curses in a religious standpoint, what do you remember us talking about a curse being? Second Nephi chapter 5 may help you. Mm-hmm. If you go to Second Nephi chapter, chapter 5 verse, verse 20. 20. 20 is a good definition of what a curse right is. Right at the end of the verse. They will be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Yeah, that's the curse, right? So the curse is that when we sin, as as white as his skin is, he commits a sin. The curse isn't that his skin color changes. The curse is... I'm cut off from God's presence. He's cut off from God's presence. And in fact, we've all experienced a curse. At some point in our lives, we have all been cut off from God's presence. So... We, we, in fact, many of us remain cursed for a really long time before we realize, I need to figure this out and repent. So, so there's that. The curse is the separation from God. So verse 21 tells, uh, so this is 2 Nephi 5.21, this is one of the foot, or cross-references. He caused that the cursing should come upon them, yet even a sore cursing because of their iniquity. They were separated from God. And this is, again, this is an active choice because of what they tried to do to Nephi, because of their murmurings, because remember, all throughout their journeys in the wilderness, all them and Lemuel know how to do is right. whine and murmur and separate right. themselves. Complain <laughs> and they, and they, so this isn't God separating him from, from, from them. They have made the choice to separate themselves, which is causing the curse. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a family that separates themselves from God, what happens with their children's, 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 children usually? They will end up doing the same exact thing and not wanting to listen to anyone else. Yep. In, in fact, it's very explicit that uh, the Lamanites taught their kids 
to hate the Nephites. Like it was a full-on culture of we're going to be a warring people. We're going to we're going to we're going to do certain things. It's our culture. And so it was a parent to child taught thing. Now let me know. Now tell me again. I want you to think forward. You're somebody who is a believer, okay? You're growing up in the church. You 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 covenants are important to you. What would what would your life be like if you chose, you fell in love, and you chose to be with somebody who is a non-believer. Well, to make it to make it more relevant, not only a non-believer, but, but somebody who is actively against anti it. your beliefs. Okay, you guys like each other. Everything is in common except for the religious part of your. You you believe he does not, and and you're together. What do you think your relationship, your life will be like for the rest? I'm, and I'm and I'm and I'm throwing out the assumption that he could change, but I'm just saying, just on that assumption that you're a believer, he's not. You guys get together. What What do you think your family life will be like? Well, very difficult, obviously, but I can still teach my kids to still love and mm-hmm. like. But what if he teaches them contrary? Yeah. Ooh. See. okay and the reason i ask you the question is we need to understand why then it says in was it in verse eight and nine and nine that whoso did mingle that thereby the lord god might preserve his people that they might not mix and believe the incorrect traditions which would prove their destruction and it came to pass that whoever did mingle his seed with the lamanites did bring the same curse okay Again, we read this to think, well, God is cursing me for falling in love with somebody that has a has the wrong skin color. What I find interesting is eight through eleven does not mention the skin color. It doesn't. It doesn't it's, say skin it's color. It's belief. Once. It's about tradition. It's tradition, belief, turning to God, and it says in verse eleven, uh, "Came to pass that whoso would not believe in the tradition of the Lamanites, but believed those records which were brought out of Jerusalem, and also the tradition of their fathers, which were correct." who believed in the commandments of God, kept them, were called the Nephites or the people of Nephi from that time forth. And so there was still that separation and distinguishing according to belief. Second Nephi 26.33 is our doctrine mastery. Right. For none of these iniquities comes of the Lord, for he doeth that which is good among the children of men. He's not the one that causes curses. We bring the curses upon ourselves. Which is, verse 19. The separation. And he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men. He inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness. And he de- he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. And he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. But if you compare that to Alma 3.19, it says, I would that ye should see. Now that's really important language. This is like the whole, this is the... This is Mormon's almost a... a moral thus, of the story. Thus we see, yep. here's the principle. I, I need you to understand from everything that I just talked about that they brought upon themselves the curse. And even so doth every man that is cursed bring upon himself his own condemnation. It's not this. We, we cannot and will not say that you are born a Lamanite and therefore you are cursed. Every man who is cursed has brought it upon himself. Now, if if we wanted to get into a weird uh, argument about skins, there's lots that we can argue about in Old Testament. Skins is not the way that we're going to see this, right? So we just so that we understand that. Okay, so we're 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 over our time here. Therefore, what? 
as as you're sitting here and as we're talking about this, Melanie, you go first. What what do you feel like is is the most important thing that we pull from this this chapter in Alma chapter three? That we should rely on the Lord and have faith that He will help us when we need help or to help others to see our point of view. And if we choose to rebel, then what? Then we are choosing to cut ourselves off of him. He is still going to be there for us. We're just not going to be able to hear him. Do you feel like that at any point if the the Amalicites had said, whoa, we really screwed up, and they repent, do you feel like like they scrub the mark off their heads and they they come back? Do you think God's going to welcome them back with open arms? Yeah. I feel like, especially now, that everyone should remember that Christ is here always. He's going to be by your side. He's not going to leave you alone. He's. I have lately found strength of listening to a song called Come Unto Christ and Come Unto Jesus. Especially now, I can... I know that I can find strength in those songs and through him that I can be able to go through this life. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's that the is atonement. the gospel. That is what right. the atonement is. Yep. Right? We, we all have at some point have rebelled, um, and he's always there. His arms are wide. Even when he calls Israel... <laughs> That you have a whore's forehead. Yeah, his arms are stretched out still. Still is waiting, and 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 as often as they repent, he will come remember back to him, the covenant. He will remember the covenant, right? And he'll come back. 